0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody out there in cool Canadian history land. I just want to let you know that today's episode is the final episode of season five. We are going to take a break for the summer, but we will return with a whole bunch of new episodes come September. So thank you for sticking it out for season five. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great summer. Be safe out there, everyone. Love each other. And we'll see you in September. Hello, and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. The dark stain of slavery echoes in the history pages for both Canada and the United States. For years, both countries legally accepted slavery as an institution, though by the mid-19th century, only the United States was left still practicing it. The Underground Railroad has long been a symbol of resistance to this institution, a symbol of freedom for African Americans desperate to escape the chains of it. While Canada may have once allowed slavery, by the mid-19th century, the country was in fact a final destination for many traveling the Underground Railroad. Yet, Canada acting as the land of the free was not an official government policy, but the product of the courageous work of both white and black, religious leaders abolitionists, free, and the enslaved, all working undercover, in secret, and at great risk to their own lives to ensure freedom for thousands of others. This is Season 5, Episode 20, The Underground Railroad. There are countless great books on the Underground Railroad and Canada's role in it. Today, I'm going to recommend two books. The first one is called The Underground Railroad, Next Stop Toronto by authors Shad, Cooper and Frost, published in 2002 by Dundurn Press. This is an extremely accessible book, not only detailing the Canadian connection to the Underground Railroad, but also about life for black Canadians in the 19th century. As well, I'm also going to recommend the biography of Mary Ann Shad, titled Mary Ann Shad, The Black Press and Protest in the 19th Century by Jane Rhodes. This was published by Indiana University Press in 1999. This book is a well-researched accounting of the life of Mary, who plays a prominent role in the Underground Railroad in Canada, and also talks about her work as a pioneer, as both a woman and a person of color in the world of news media. So slavery has a long history in North America, and in the regions that eventually made up the country of Canada. Slavery was commonly practiced by a variety of indigenous groups long before Europeans arrived. The first European arrivals brought with them slaves as well, including Samuel de Champlain, the father of Quebec, who brought along two African quote-unquote servants. Labor issues would be a constant problem in the struggling French colonies of what would become Canada, and the importation of slaves was a partial answer to that labor problem. In 1689, Louis XIV formally authorized the importation of slaves from Africa. Because slaves were so expensive, slave owners were often members of the economic elite, those wealthy enough to frankly afford them. Surprisingly, slave owners ranged from the wealthy land owners to senior clergy, including the Bishop of Laval, the first Bishop of Quebec, and even religious orders owned slaves, including the famous nuns, the Grey Nuns. Environmental and agricultural conditions, plus the limited population numbers within New France and Acadia, all meant that there were far less slaves being imported into the Canada's than the southern colonies of what would eventually make up the southern United States. When the British wrestled control of North America from the French in 1763, they maintained slavery as an institution. Slavery was practiced throughout the British Empire at that time, so this was simply standard imperial practice. By doing this, the British ruling class was able to gain the support of the French elites who maintained slavery and kept slaves on their property. Things got a bit more confusing by the 1770s, when the 13 colonies rebelled against British rule. While slavery was still legal in British North America, the British offered freedom to slaves who would fight or serve with the British forces. When the war officially ended in 1783, thousands of freed slaves moved into what was left of British North America, particularly into the colony of Nova Scotia. By the end of the 18th century... There are thus free peoples of African descent living in British North America alongside enslaved peoples of African descent. In fact, while the British allowed for slavery in her colonies, British policy was that any runaway slave arriving on British soil would be freed. Meaning, British North America, by the end of the 18th century, was a place of freedom for runaway slaves from the new United States. Yet, slaves within British North America were legally still in bondage. It gets even more confusing. Because by the end of the 18th century, you would have British North American slaves escaping from British North America to find freedom in the non-slave states in the northern United States, while at the same time, slaves from primarily the southern United States would be trying to get into British North America to find freedom. A truly bizarre situation. By 1833, however, the British officially abolished slavery throughout the empire. While certain northern states in the United States were non-slave states, the greatest guarantee of liberty for most escaped slaves from the U.S. was to get to British North American soil. This became even more apparent, however, when the United States passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 effectively gave slave owners the right to hunt down and any escaped slaves, no matter where they were in the U.S., even if they were now residing or hiding in non-slave states. This means that after 1850, the only sure way to guarantee one's freedom was to flee the country entirely. It is worth noting that by 1850, there were somewhere between 3 and 4 million slaves in the United States. It is the period of around 1833 to 1860, the outbreak of the American Civil War, where we see the peak activity in what comes to be known as the Underground Railroad. Folks, before we continue, I just want to take a second to let you know that this podcast relies exclusively on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate on a regular basis, so every month or whenever you want. While Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations per episode. So for instance, if you want to donate 2 bucks for every episode we publish, well Patreon allows you to set that up. It's easy, it's safe and secure. Again, we survive only on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. And thank you to everyone who has commented, who has left us five-star ratings, and especially who has donated. We could not keep doing this without you. Now back to the regularly scheduled program. So what was the Underground Railroad? Well, it was not an actual railroad that ran underground. But the metaphor of a railroad was used extensively to describe a vast informal infrastructure and network The term itself is said to have originated sometime in the 1830s and was a term used by those involved in it as well as those trying to stop it. The Underground Railroad referred specifically to a secret system spread throughout the United States designed to help fugitive slaves escape to freedom. It was said to have been started by a group of abolitionists in Philadelphia in the early 19th century. But by the 1830s, it had spread throughout the United States and beyond. While the most common route was a northwards route from the slave states to either the free states of the north or to the Canadas, the Underground Railroad actually encompassed a number of routes. Southwards into Mexico and then into the Caribbean. West into California, the north into the colony of Vancouver Island and later British Columbia along the eastern coast into Nova Scotia or Prince Edward Island, and overland into New Brunswick and Quebec, though the majority of slaves using the Underground Railroad would end up in what would become Ontario. The Underground Railroad consisted of a number of different routes to freedom, which were often referred to as lines. The individuals who helped the fugitive slaves were often called conductors, Safe houses used to hide the slaves were referred to as stations. Station masters were those who ran the safe houses. The people responsible for planning out the escape routes were known as ticket agents, and the slaves themselves referred to as cargo. The journey was not easy. Most slaves had first to escape their masters, and especially in the South, usually needed to travel great distances without being seen. This meant hiding in the daytime, risking starvation, and of course, risking terrible retribution if caught. Of course, after 1850, even making it into the free states of the North still meant that one could just as easily be captured and returned to bondage. One of the most famous men to be freed using the Underground Railroad was Frederick Douglass, who became one of the leading black figures in America in the mid 19th century. He was a former slave and, via the Underground Railroad route, successfully escaped to the North and freedom. While he became a prominent advocate for African American rights, he continued to work with the Underground Railroad, helping other slaves escape. The conductors were an interesting group of people. They comprised a wide array of people from different races, occupations, and income levels. There were former slaves who now worked with the Underground Railroad, facilitating more escapes. A significant portion of the Underground Railroad was operated by free blacks. There were members of various churches, both white and black, who worked as conductors. The Quakers, in particular, were active in the Underground Railroad. Portuguese sailors operated the Underground Railroad along the Atlantic coast. American politicians operated based out of Washington. French Canadians operated along the Champlain Corridor, First Nations, whose territories spanned both the U.S. and British North America, helped as well, and many more. Being a conductor could certainly be dangerous, and if caught, result in actual jail time. Hugh Hazlitt, for instance, was a 31-year-old white man from Maryland who was caught attempting to smuggle seven slaves out of North Carolina. He was given an incredible 44 years in jail, It was clear that Hazlitt's sentence was a warning to other would-be Underground Railroad agents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. James Peck was a 25-year-old free black man working as a cook on a steamer running from Cincinnati to Nashville. He was caught by his own captain attempting to help a slave escape from Tennessee and was eventually sentenced seven years in jail. Like Frederick Douglass, there were other slaves who ended up agents for the Underground Railroad, some of them actually returning to the South time and time again to smuggle out relatives, friends, and even strangers. One could only imagine the dire consequences for these people if caught and returned to their state of bondage, if they survive being captured at all. Perhaps the most well-known conductor of them all was Harriet Tubman. A former slave herself, Tubman escaped via the Underground Railroad and then, despite great risk to herself, became an agent for it. Between 1850 and 1860, she guided more than 300 people to freedom, including her parents and even some of her siblings. Numerous agents of the Underground Railroad lived, worked, and operated out of British North America, but perhaps the most well-known was Mary Ann Shad. Mary was born to a free black family in Delaware. Her father Abraham was a shoemaker and an active abolitionist. He was in fact a conductor for the Underground Railroad, and his house was frequently used as a station to hide escapees. When the U.S. passed the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850, Mary's father decided to move the entire family to North Buxton, Ontario. Now, Mary herself was a well-educated young woman and inherited her father's abolitionist stance. Mary and her brother decided to move to Windsor, Ontario, which, of course, is located right next to Detroit, in order to begin working for the Underground Railroad. While there... Mary also became the first female newspaper editor in North American history when she founded the newspaper The Provincial Freeman and even helped establish a racially integrated school in Windsor. Mary worked tirelessly to drum up support for the abolitionist cause and specifically used her newspaper to gather resources for the Underground Railroad at significant personal risk to herself. Windsor. Being just across the border from Detroit was a natural terminus for the Underground Railroad, and Mary worked within the key secret circles, welcoming newly freed African Americans into British North America. Despite the illegality of slavery in British North America, this did not mean that slave hunters did not attempt to cross the border to retrieve escaped slaves. While not common, there were reported cases of attempts at kidnapping those who had safely arrived in British North America. One case was even reported by Marianne Shad's newspaper, The Provincial Freeman. It spoke of a slave owner and his assistant arriving in Chatham, Ontario, where a large black community had settled. The slave owner tracked down his former slave, but before he could kidnap him, a large crowd gathered and chased the slave owner and his assistant away. It is estimated that upwards of 30,000 slaves escaped into British North America during the peak of the Underground Railroad from the 1830s to the 1860s. Most of them settled in what would become southern Ontario. In fact, Amherstburg was considered the chief entry point for the Underground Railroad into Canada. During the mid-19th century, sizable settlements sprung up in the region between Niagara Falls, Toronto, and Windsor. For instance, the Elgin Settlement was established in 1849 for the black community. The Elgin Settlement is now part of Chatham in a community known as North Buxton. A large community known as Africville was also established in Nova Scotia near Halifax. But of course, escaped slaves arrived throughout British North America from the west coast to the east coast, and this saw small settlements spring up throughout. It's worth pointing out that these newly freed peoples did not arrive into a society that believed in racial equality. British North America was still beset with very deeply held beliefs of the racial superiority of whites. And for most arriving African Americans, while they were certainly free, they were not in any way free of racial injustice, prejudice, or intolerance. Black Canadians struggled to find gainful employment, to secure adequate housing, to obtain education. Many were only allowed to live in certain areas. Many were not allowed to work certain jobs because of their skin color, and many were forced to send their children to segregated schools. The belief for most white British North Americans was that the black and the white populations should not intermingle or be integrated. In fact, the racial views of most white British North Americans was quite similar to those same views in the southern United States. The one major difference being, of course, that slavery was illegal. Regardless, these black communities survived, grew, thrived, and contributed greatly to the growing multicultural nature of what would become Canada, They leave behind a rich historical legacy, and for many, that legacy includes a harrowing escape from a vile institution to find freedom in the North. In a world still struggling with racial inequality, the story of the Underground Railroad and its agents provides a glimpse into human nature working together at its finest. People of different creeds, colors, and classes cooperating, holding dear to the belief that all people are indeed born equal and born free. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris. that's at D O C B O R Y S. Thank you for tuning in and stay cool.